Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading and you're listening to the I Love Muzzleloading podcast. Today we're talking to a good friend in the muzzleloading community here, Brian Kaufman. Brian is a young man and an avid muzzleloading outdoorsman out in Pennsylvania. We're going to talk a lot about his story in muzzleloading, how he got into it and how he got to where he is today, kind of in contemporary muzzleloading culture and how that relates to his local Pennsylvania. I think both just human culture and then hunting culture as well. It's a really interesting podcast and uh, I, I really hope you enjoy it. I appreciate you coming on to talk to me about about your hunt here. I really enjoyed the videos, and both from you, and then I think that Leatherwood Outdoors. It was really neat to follow. Yeah, John Royer. He uh, he did he did a film, and then I had took film. So I told him I said, "Well, I can just give you my footage." He goes, "No, go ahead and do your thing." He says, "I'll I'll put a link in there." But so a lot of it was the same footage because he held his own camera and he held mine too. So kind of mm-hmm. kind of was a lot of the same stuff. But anyway, he actually just texted me this week he found that at the end of the film i filmed a pretty nice buck uh, like 130 inch i think it was an 11 point he found that buck dead this week really yeah no no gunshot wound it was looked healthy but it was just laying there dead he can't figure it out hmm so i don't know he's baffled yeah that's pretty weird yeah but so your guys' your guys's gun season started from what I saw some stuff on Facebook. People were shooting them, unless it's just a muzzleloader season. No, we started um, the thirteenth is when we okay. opened up. So yeah, we're coming on to week three now here. Oh wow! And then I don't know. I think we kind of stop mid December. I think we kind of have a month, and then we have a two week muzzleloader season at the end of December. Okay, which is nice. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you guys start pretty early out there. Well, we have one that one week, but it's analyst only. It's doe only. Oh, okay. So that week that I went out there to Pittsburgh area to hunt hunt with John, that was just that one week. It's a Saturday to a Saturday, so. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, it's just doe only. You can't shoot bucks. So if I want to shoot a buck with a flintlock, I got to wait till our rifle season, which starts here on Saturday. Okay. And um, and then of course the one thing you can hunt, we have that late flintlock only season. Mm-hmm. Um, here and you've probably heard about that That's oh yeah or the only state that does that from what i understand so we have that after after christmas and that one there is nice because if you don't have a buck you can use that tag as a doe tag oh okay yeah that's the only time you can use your buck tag as a doe tag in pennsylvania is with the flintlock hmm that's nice so, yeah yeah i'm hoping i'm taking the flintlock i carried it for bear on saturday and i'm gonna carry it in rifle season here unless it's raining then i'll take my 257 roberts but <laughs> not yeah. gonna chance it yeah no i'm not gonna carry it in the rain i did some shooting with my inline this past weekend and it started to sleet on me i was glad mm. i wasn't shooting my flintlock <laughs> yeah yeah i can we we hunted one time i think it was the last day of muzzleloader but my wife's uncle and her cousin and i a couple of the cousins and i we hunted and it was like rainy and sleeting and snowing and we hunted all day, and we never did get a shot at a deer. But at the uh, the end of the day, we all tried shooting our guns, and not a one of them went off. We had to really work at them to get them going. Oh, man. Like, what, were, what, what were we even doing? <laughs> <laughs> trying to do it like they did. Yeah. Yeah, we were just out, out trying to get deer moving. And I tell you, that late season, unless you have a good place, I mean, they've just got pressured from the rifle season, and – it is tough to find them. It is just tough, especially on the state land. 
But really? at least you have usually you have snow, so you can track them. Mm. Mm. Anyway, I'm pretty difficult. fortunate. We've got uh, right at 50 acres here, and um, over 40 of it's uh, young tree planting. That's about as old as I am, just about 30. Oh, nice. And so it's a nice little plot. Um, several of the folks around us that own fields and little sections of the woods will hunt them, but they kind of... Um, we have a family friend that hunts our woods with a with a flintlock, and I'm going to go out and hang out with him some in the stand and or in the blind, nice. I guess. Yeah. And uh, he's just a fun old guy. I've well, he's known my family since I think like uh, my grandfather, really, so a couple generations back. But it's always nice to hang out with him. And yeah, he's always just kind of shooting for the meat. There's a couple big bucks though. I think he's really going to try to <laughs> he's going to try to go for at least one. I think here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think. Some of the stuff, some of the things I know about you is from, you know, past podcasts and different things I've listened to. Mm-hmm. You know, so now if I remember right, too, from, from podcasts somewhere, maybe it was with Prim- Primitive Pursuit or where it would have been, but um, you you grew up in a family of the, like your dad was or is or was the president of it. Yeah, he, he was in the early 2000s and he, he is now again. Um, okay just this past september so yeah yeah i grew up my my grandfather went to his first match in 1937 oh wow with uh with his dad and brother and a couple friends they went down in an old model a ford they went back the next year and uh my grandfather and a bunch of other kids his age started the first youth match because there weren't any matches for kids and and they found the the guy running it and he he went up to him and asked if they could have a kids match And, and the guy said well if you get a few other kids around well sure you can have a you can have your own match and and he shot in that and he won that first match that first first junior match down there cool and uh i've been hooked ever since man <laughs> yeah yeah so he was doing more bench stuff and yeah yeah he was doing think, bench yeah. and a lot of prone stuff when he was younger wow. and got into the bench yeah huh yeah that's a whole world i'm very unfamiliar with you know i i sort of got into it um well it all started with, uh, you know, I always thought, you know, it'd be nice if I had my buck tag in the late season, I could shoot a doe with it. Cause I mean, we eat a lot of deer meat. I thought, well, if I ever do need another gun, I, I was kind of content with all the firearms I had, to be honest with you. And I thought if I ever do buy another gun, it's going to be a flintlock. And some kid was selling, selling guns for money for car parts or something. He was wanting money and, and, uh, he had a Lyman deer stalker and I said, would you sell that? He said, yeah. He goes, well, how much? I said, how much do you want? He goes, how much will you give me? And <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done it, but I said, I'll give you a hundred bucks. He goes, I'll take it. Oh, okay. So I bought that and hundred bucks. And of course I didn't know anything. He gave me some Pyrodex with it, which, you know, as we all know, it doesn't work too well. Yeah. Flintlock, you want genuine black powder, but that got my started. And then I just, it just, I ended up buying you know, selling that one and buying another. Then I went to Lyman Great Plains and trying different production guns. And I, then I, I shot some guys. I got to talking to guys and shot some custom guns. And I was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta build something. So then I built a smooth board and now I built this rifle, but now I'm shooting, you know, with them, our local club and the woods walks and stuff. And man, I just, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> That's great. It's so, much, it's so much fun. And they teach you, all them older guys teach you. And I don't know how it is at Friendship and when you guys do your 
your uh the big gatherings out there and stuff but man i'm telling you there is like nobody under 60 what i shoot with yeah i'm i'm the only guy and i'm like man what's gonna happen here so like i'm telling all my buddies like hey you gotta come shoot some sunday yeah you gotta come out and shoot and i got a couple guys interested but it's it's hard just to say it. like you literally gotta like pressure them into it because i know once they come out and do it they'll probably they'll probably get into it mm-hmm. but man like i mean i'm like what what's gonna happen with the future of this club here it's already just a few guys and then you know none of them are going to be here in another 20 years yeah 30 years so yeah it's the same out here and, and even at the national matches there's a little bit more diversity there um mm-hmm. you kind of get into some some upper th- you know a few upper 30s families uh, kind of mid 40s families in there um but yeah i think the the average age is in the upper 60s down there mm-hmm. you know and that's kind of why I started just really hammering stuff online. Cause I just, I was, um, that same grandfather there that, that shot in those matches. He was, uh, kind of, you know, towards the end of his life there. And I just kind of reconnected with muzzleloading and I was just like, man, you know, we gotta, we gotta try something. And right. No, I, I'm, I hear you. And I, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I'm like, I've thought of that before. I'm like, man, Ethan's like the only guy I know young younger guy that's like pushing muzzle loading on the internet and like you know not just throwing a video out here and there you're like you are very adamant about keeping out new content and putting stuff out and I appreciate that because I know how much time that must take <laughs> thank you, know? you yeah like oh I know because I mean I just used Windows Movie Maker and put mine together and try to make them a little nicer than a typical home video but you know piece piece it together and add music and all that or do whatever you know but yeah, yours I'm look not, great if you're using Windows Movie Maker, man. Wow. Well, that's all I know. Yeah. You know, I've used it since like 2008, 2009. I'm Good not on gonna you. Buy, I'm not going to buy any anything else like as far as like an actual format or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's free. I use this old computer here in the basement. I use it. And, you know, it's what I know as far as like, you know, being able to slow move the footage or clip and add things. That's all if you I need. Did, start over i'd probably like scratch my head and say forget it i don't know <laughs> but no i appreciate what you do because like i said there's a there's a lot of young people you know and they're all on youtube but they don't they don't realize i don't think that um i don't i just don't think there's the knowledge there you know of yeah. what of the fun of black powder and you know i'm kind of partial to flintlocks over percussion i don't think i mean i'm not saying one's better than the other but i just i love the i love the flintlocks myself yeah but, um, you know, but people are people something are magic unaware. about them yeah i mean and too it's intimidating you know when you don't know you don't know and you don't realize how simple how simple it is that there's really no right or wrong way to 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 do most things i mean there's every loads a custom load. And as long as you have a half decent patch and ball combo, I mean, you just send it down and fire the thing. Yeah. And you're good to go. Yeah. There's nothing to it. And then you can, you can make all your own stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty cheap. I don't like buying much. And so like, you know, I made my own ball starter and, you know, I cast my own balls and I do all that stuff. Cause it's fun to be able to make all that stuff, your powder measures and yeah. You know, if you like to tinker, why it's a perfect little hobby because you can make all sorts of little gadgets and accoutrements and stuff like that. 
that's what I really like about it is that that simplicity and that ability to do it on your own. There's a real mm-hmm. connection there that, I mean, I've got modern guns and I like to plink around with them, but I don't shoot them nearly as much as I shoot my muzzleloaders. Yeah. It's just not as, like, I can go out and, yeah, I can ring steel with my twenty two and I'm just kind of like, okay, you know. Yeah, whoop de do, right? Yeah. whoop de do. You know you can hit it. It's I can move my spinners around and make it more challenging, but I don't enjoy yeah. it nearly as much as, you know, that fireball going off an inch from your face. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know where how you were when you first started shooting, but, I mean, part of the reason I wanted to continue was because, I mean, I missed, I bet you I missed 10 deer till I finally connected on one and and I just, oh, I struggled. And I I, st- I wouldn't say so much now anymore because I shoot a lot, but I just flinched and flinched and flinched and flinched. And even though I didn't think I was anymore, I still was because I couldn't hit anything. I just mm. couldn't hit nothing. Right. And, and I asked guys for advice, and some guys said put a block of wood in your jaws of your flint and practice in the basement, putting your sights on, you know, a, a dot on the wall and – just practice well it didn't matter because i knew the gun wasn't going off so of course i wasn't going to flinch you know it's, <laughs> it's when i'm out in the field so yeah i mean just like anything practice makes perfect so i just i just start shooting especially once you build build a gun you have a quality gun you're you're really going to want to shoot more and i just i built a smooth bore too partly because i wanted to load it with shot and squirrel hunt and i thought you know here i am carrying a gun i might get one or two shots at deer per year with a flintlock rifle for deer but if i go squirrel hunting well, i'll probably get five six shots per de- per time i go hunting so it'll be shooting it more and then you know target shooting as well why um it all it all just started coming together and I, and I don't really know if there was an actual like time where all of a sudden it just clicked but i i don't know this this past year here shooting at this club I, it just started clicking and i just started mm-hmm. hitting and and now now, for the most part, I I could usually hit what I'm trying to what I'm trying to hit. Yeah, you're putting out some pretty impressive shots. I think on on your on those videos, that one where you're just, I think uh, your little after work plinking there that that hang. I think that one was in the tree and the one was on the ground maybe. Oh yeah, those mm-hmm. were good shots, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing with footage. You can always just. I could have took three shots. No, no. And on in all honesty, those were the. That was the first two shots yeah. when I got home. I didn't, I didn't edit that. It wasn't like it took three or four to get them. No, that was, that was one back to back. Um, but yeah, that's not all the time either. You know, yeah. I can put that. That's a five by seven piece. I can put that out in the field at all different kinds of ranges, and I'd say, I'd say fifty yards. I'll more than likely hit it four out of five shots. You know, but it's not, it's not a given, and I think that's part of the fun of it. Is you know. It's if you think you're gonna hit it every time, you won't. I mean, it takes concentration and Mm -hmm. follow through. A guy told me a good good advice one time is he says, you know, well, and you probably know, but like just let it surprise you. If if the gun scares the crap out of you when he goes off, you weren't ready for it. It's usually a good shot. Okay. You know, like if you're if you're squeezing. Now I don't shoot a set trigger. I shoot a standard regular single trigger, but. If you're if you're squeezing and you don't really know when that thing is going to go off, it typically it surprises you and you don't have any reaction to a flinch because it it, it went off before you were ready for it to go off. It's when right. you punch that trigger that you're going to actually you're 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 already knowing the gun's going off. That kind of lines up with how I kind of came up shooting. Is um, we always describe it as you want to get your head out of it. 
if you're thinking about it too much, mm. you're gonna you're gonna goof up with something. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna pull, or you're gonna squeeze too hard, or you're gonna flinch, or, or one thing or the other there. And so by getting your head out of it, you know, once you once you got that practice in and you've got that kind of muscle memory, it's almost like you're not really there. You know, you're kind of zoned out. Is how mm-hmm. I think about it. And I, yeah. I, I know where it needs to be or my body knows where it needs to be. I don't need to be, you know, squinting my eye and dead focused on it. I can kind of feel when it gets into that spot and let it go. Yeah. But now you're shooting, what, over 100 yards with open sights, right? On which one? Well, <laughs> when you're shoot, are you talking, are you talking flintlock or are you talking when you're doing your bench rest competitions? Uh that's really, I guess, with the flintlock. The, the bench rest stuff, I'm kind of more into it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And I then, and then the, the more flintlock and then the pistol side of it. So my um, my grandfather's side of the family, my mother's side of the family, did the bench rest and kind of the supported shooting. And then my father's side of the family did a lot of pistol shooting. So I kind of mesh in between those on on what I'm trying to do, you know, and well, so, my so interest in shooting, it. you have shooting... His history is in both sides, your mom and your dad's side. Yeah, they actually oh. met at friendship, weirdly okay. enough. Yeah. Okay, that's neat. Yeah, I don't think I called on to any of that listening to your stuff in the past. <laughs> I try not to talk yeah. about myself too much. I <laughs> Good night. I've been shooting muzzleloaders since 2015, 16, so not very long. But um, I definitely have a passion for it, you know, yeah. but I'm not... I'm not like I, I feel like I don't have a whole lot to share because I'm not I haven't shot near like a lot of guys. But well, you know, I, I partially wanted to have you on, man, because you are young, and mm. I, I think it's important for for people to see and hear about how other folks get into it, and it's really hard to share that story and for uh, you know people our age to connect with it if it's somebody who got into it in the '70s. Yeah, because it's just a whole different thing i mean it might as well be the 1800s you know and culturally speaking things are so different well i think one of the things i've noticed is like um from from listening to different guys on different podcasts a lot of them bring up the whole fest parker davy crockett daniel boone is what piqued their interest watching those old disney films which even i had them on vhs watching them in the late 90s early 2000s you know i remember i remember watching them and mom sewed up like you know a little outfit for me and everything and i had a little cap gun and i'd run around that was always me me as well but what, <laughs> what so i always had an interest in in that but it wasn't it wasn't the disney films that got me near as much as just history in general i mean i can i remember just you know scarfing up history in school particularly the american revolution mm-hmm. and still and still i mean I, I love reading history on um on different figures. I just finished up a book on John Stark and Daniel Morgan, Morgan's rifleman. Oh yeah. You know, and, uh, and learning that stuff. And I think part of my interest in shooting muzzleloaders is because of the history, you know, and knowing that we, you know, we, we want our independence with a primitive weapon, which at that time was top notch. I mean, actually they were above the standard. You know, the one book I read, what was it? He said, he wrote, I forget who it was, said that the British likened the British likened the flintlock American long rifle to like World War One with people considering pure gas um, or or the gases in trench warfare is like inhumane or wasn't right a right way to <laughs> it wasn't war. fair. 
yeah, it wasn't fair. Well, if they would have had the rifles like we had, then they would have, but you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they had the Hessian Jaegers or whatever, but as far as, you know, like Timothy Murphy was one of Morgan's rifles that was known to, he had shot that mm-hmm. officer off his horse at almost 300 yards. And he was just from up here in Northumberland, which is about well, less than 20 miles from me. Oh, really? Wow. And, and, yeah. And, and there's just history there, you know? That yeah. Being from Pennsylvania, there's a lot of people from this state that would have been part of that you know, in the rifle companies. I know they were a lot of them from New York and Maryland and Virginia. But, um, yeah, the history is what what made me take a liking to it so much. And Now, now my personal family history, not so much. Um, but I do want to share this with you. So um, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, and my, my dad left the Mennonite church when I was a kid, but you know, my, my grandparents were Amish and from there on back, we're all Amish. Okay. So I'm actually the 10th generation in Pennsylvania. And, wow. and I told my dad one time, I said, you know, was there any history there? If there aren't any of our ancestry in Pennsylvania that would have fought in the revolution or he said, Oh no, you know, they were all object objectors to the war. You know, they were peaceful people and their faith. And, you know, I kind of was a little bummed because I wanted, you know, you know, you wanted to know somebody was like fault, fault in the revolution, you yeah. know, or, and, and, you know. It's a real badge well, of come, honor. Yeah. Well, I come to find out that uh, Jacob Kaufman had been my seventh great grandpa, the one that came over. Him and five other men um, were actually held in a prison in Reading, Pennsylvania, and they were to be sentenced for execution because they were not going to join the fight. And, uh, a minister intervened the, the day before their execution and said, you know, how can you execute these men when they left Europe to be free of persecution and now they're going to be persecuted here? And my dad said, you know, he wasn't, they weren't going to die for their country, but they were going to die for their faith. Hmm. And boy, that really hit me. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, here I was thinking, I wanted to be proud of my ancestry because of them fighting for our country. But here, you know, pridefully you know here i was thinking that way but that's something that's far more greater honor to be willing to die for your faith in your country mm-hmm. so and that's what so many of those men and women were willing to do so anyway they intervened and they were let loose they were not killed obviously or i wouldn't been here <laughs> well i'm glad you're here <laughs> yeah so that that was just some history there you know i have a lot of a lot of my history with the amish is all written in, in books and stuff and I can read back through, you know, some of them were taken captive by Indians and stuff like that. But anyway, that's a lot of stuff doesn't have to do with muzzle loading, but it has to do with the history and the yeah. interest, the interest in where I take the, in the, in the history. And well, I see them as one um, and the same, you know, I, I don't think we can look at muzzle loaders with and ignore the history of them. I think they're, I think they're, you know, really go hand in hand, especially here in the United States, especially in Pennsylvania where you're at. Mm-hmm. I believe it was a, they said it was a Swiss Mennonite. I don't know if it's, if it's for sure, but they said it was a, I've read somewhere that it was a Swiss Mennonite or something that was the first to build the, the Pennsylvania long rifle, you know, hmm. obviously Lancaster long, long rifle. So mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, here I'm into muzzle loading and I'm, and it was kind of all started here a couple counties east of me. And, uh, there's a couple other gun makers here not far. I'm I'm just south of Snyder County, and if anyone's heard of a Joseph Long rifle, Joseph Long was a gun maker. I believe he was on tax records up to 1820. Oh, really? Um, 
yeah, he, he made them more post-revolution, but um, he built guns. And then, uh, you know, Getz Barrels, John Getz. Don Getz is the one that, I guess, had the business, but his boy, John, I know him personally. He He's just over the mountain from me. And um, So there's a lot of, there's a lot of that um, history here. I should, when I say history, I mean, that's just in the seventies and eighties, I guess when they were kind of in their heyday. Yeah. The get, the get sparrows. So you talk about, uh, let's kind of jump back then to, to how you got into muzzleloading. Sure. Cause you, you talked about trying to, you know, you take me through that process that you, you talked about getting this first, this first flintlock and then, Kind of walk well, it, me through when that was and, and how long it took you to, to kind of upgrade to get to where you're at now and, and your kind of th- thought process behind that. Yeah, I'll try not to ramble. I'll try to keep my thoughts together on it. But um, basically, I, 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 I had no intentions of really getting into flintlocks. Uh, I just kind of wanted it for the opportunity to go in the late season and have, a, and have that opportunity to use my buck tag for doe. Mm-hmm. because that was the opportunity you can do with a in the late season and uh when i bought that flintlock and i shot it i thought man that thing's pretty cool but um i soon i soon like looked at that little deer stalker nothing against a production gun but i just i don't know it was kind of had fiber optic sights on it and um had a had a rubber recoil pad and everything and i just always thought i'd like the long rifle you know and so I quick started looking for a different gun and I traded it in trying to think what I bought after that. I bought a used 45 caliber Euro arms, Kentucky, and I actually have a YouTube video on shooting that little gun. Hmm. And, uh, the lock was all sloppy on it and I gave way too much for it, but it was what I wanted. It had the wood going clear out the barrel. It was like an old, you know, right around the bicentennial. I think there's a lot of those production guns being made, but, um, I shot it for a year or two. And soon thought, well, this thing, I'm ready to upgrade again. So I went to a, a Lime and Great Plains and uh, I shot that gun for a year. And and there again, I it, I think the Lime and Great Plains is somewhere around nine pounds. And and that gun shot well. It was uh, it was a, a great spark sparking gun and it shot well, but it was heavy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and there again, I. I kind of went back to a Hawkins style there with that Great Plains, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna look for another gun that's that's got a basically just have the wood running out the whole way along the barrel like a long rifle. So one time I was just messing around online and I started looking at those Kentucky, or no, I'm sorry, uh, Cabela's makes the Blue Ridge, mm. uh, the Petrozoli. They're outsourced from Petrozoli. The uh, I guess Petrozoli calls them the Frontier. Cabela's sells them as the Blue Ridge, but yeah. They're all the I same. Over, yeah, it's all the same. I went <laughs> over and bought bought one from Cabela's in Hamburg um, one day and uh, shot that gun for a while, but it was a straight barrel, and so it felt like there was a hammer hanging on the end of that yeah. thing. It was super heavy. And, uh, yeah, I, I shot it. Plus, it has that patented breech where it, like, necks down back there, I guess, from what someone said. I never really did look at it. Um, take it apart or anything, take the breech plug out. But I guess it, it necks down, so you can never really truly get your jag all the way down to the flash hole. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it basically steps down. So anyway, I there was just a couple little things with that gun that I thought I'm going to sell that. And so I was just I was just uncontent. I wanted a long rifle, so 
<laughs> I sold, I sold it. And, uh, then my thought process went to, well, what's going to be the best option for me. And like I had said earlier, I thought, well, if I, if I build a smooth board, I can shoot shot out of it. And from what I understand, you can shoot a patch ground ball pretty accurate out of them. So I, I got to talking to some different people about it and I just decided to go with the Northwest trade gun cause they're fairly simple build. So I went through Pectonica long river supply or long rifle supply out in Illinois and I ordered a 20 gauge, 42 inch barrel, uh, trade gun kit. And that one, it, it, it was, I thought I overthought it. I thought it'd be super difficult. It wasn't too bad. Um, but I assembled that gun in about a month's time. Uh, I think it was a year ago this past January. And then I ended up shooting two deer with it that fall and it shot, you know, shot some squirrels with it and stuff. So that gun, that gun really was a lot of fun because I had put it together myself and I was able to shoot, shoot game with it. And it, it of course it was a big, long 42 inch barrel on it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I ended up shooting one at 50 yards. The other one was 55 yards, uh, with, you know, no rear sight. And so I thought that was quite an accomplishment. Yeah. This, the second one I shot, tell you a story with that gun, or, uh, I was up on, I hiked all the way to the top of the Tuscarora mountain here, which is just down across the river from my house, about four miles as the crow flies. And it was about 1030 in the morning till I got to the top, um, hiked to the top of the mountain. And my wife's cousin was with me and it bounced a button buck over to me and I shot that thing. And, uh, well, I was on cloud nine. I, I reloaded and I got on blood and I followed it and I found the deer lying and in the excitement of reloading, I did, I did my reloading sequence, but I did, I failed to do one thing and that was to pick my vent hole. Oh. And, and, uh, I always pick my vent and, uh, I just got the deer and I was dragging it down off the mountain. But uh, I think it was last two years ago, they started letting you shoot bear in that one week of doe early, early doe season. And I thought, well, I guess I should keep my eyes open in case I see a bear, but you know, what are the chances? And I was just, took a break there on a, like a, there's like a, they used to quarry rocks off the side of the mountain. There's like logging roads there. And I just stopped for a breather and I looked to my left and there's a, there's a beautiful bear standing there. And you know, my mind's eye, I can still see it. The black birch trees, the yellow leaves just kind of floating through the air. It was an overcast day, middle of the day. And there's a bear 70 yards, nothing between us, but air. And I, I cocked the hammer back on it and I settled my bead behind its shoulder and all I had was a flash in the pan. <laughs> the gun didn't go off. Oh. So I quick dropped my gun and picked the vent and uh, reprimed. And I actually flipped the frizz and close and pulled the gun up and almost got a shot before it took off. It, I was, it, it stood there and watched me that long. <laughs> and when it turned it on here, it had a cub behind it. So hmm. I guess I can justify that it, the gun didn't go off. Um, You can shoot sows with cubs in Pennsylvania, but. Um, it was a, it was a nice sow, mm. but boy, did I kick myself for that one? Yeah, that could have been quite a day. <laughs> a double a and a, Yeah. What spurred you to making your own instead of um, instead of trying to buy an already built smoothbore? Was it just something you wanted to try out, or? Yeah. So I my dad's a woodworker. Um, okay. He, and and I worked for him for a few years, and uh, he he taught me you know how to work with wood for the most part. 
but you know building a gun is different it's one thing to make wood fit to wood it's another thing to make metal fit to wood because you can't really make metal move too much yeah you know, it's, <laughs> it's just it was a little daunting to me but yes i uh i decided i was going to attempt it and i talked to some people and um and decided i was going to try putting one together myself and um yeah, I don't know. I just I just thought I'd give it a try. I actually had to sell my 300 wind mag to get the money. I think it was almost $800 for parts for that trade gun. But uh, I, I was it was worth it to me to get the money to to build that gun and Yeah. Um yeah, it it, it didn't go too bad. I think like anything um when a guy first starts, um you, you tend not to take enough wood away. You know, looking back at that trade gun now, it's a little bit blocky. I should have removed a little more wood. You know, you're scared to take things away. Yeah. You know, you're you're starting something. You really have nothing to look at. You haven't. You know, I didn't. I didn't buy that art of the building the American long rifle book like they all recommend. I thought ah, I can handle this, but <laughs> I think there's some things I should have probably read the book. I just kind of winged it, and um, I I did. I did miss one hole in my pin on my underlug. I had to JB weld it and some of that stuff, but that's all part of the learning process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I uh, trying to think what else. I I just I just felt like it was something I could attempt and 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 then once I did it in a month, you know, of course you're like, well, I did that pretty quick, and if I would have taken my time, I probably could have done a little nicer job. Well, I was shooting at a smoothbore shoot in Union County with a guy and. And uh, he was complaining how he can't hit anything with a smooth bore and this and that. And I said, well, I mean, it shoots good enough for me. And he says, you shoot a rifle one time, a custom rifle. He says, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. So that following week or two weeks later, we went to a, a woods walk and he let me shoot a little 45 cal caliber gun that he had. Now, he's a left-hander, so I'm a right-hander. I was shooting a left-handed gun, which <laughs> I didn't know how that would work, but it went fine. And man, I was just hitting steel one after the other. And, uh, that we had an ax head. You had to split the ball and I'll be darned if I didn't even split the ball on that thing. <laughs> so I was, I was really feeling like, yeah, you're right. I do need a rifle. So yeah, you were hooked then. Yeah. We got to talking about it and we did a, a trade agreement where I was going to do some scrim showing. I like to do a little bit of artwork and said, you scrim show a powder horn for me or two. And I'll, I'll get you a piece of wood. Cause he, he he has his hand in some stuff with getting stocks and curly maple stocks. So okay, uh, ended up ended up doing that deal where I just basically had to buy the silent lock and the barrel and all the parts from. So a lot of the parts I bought from Track of the Wolf, but we ordered the barrel from Rice and we ordered the 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 lock from I guess Chambers or or Siler. So it wasn't exactly a kit, but we had a local guy here over in Sunbury, he, he shaped the stock for me. Um, so it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was just a chunk of wood, you know, it, it yeah. was already, it was inlet. He had it inletted for the barrel. All I had to do was the minor inletting for the lock. And so well, that's handy. Yeah. yeah it made it, it's basically the same way as my trade gun was, but you know, with a rifle compared to the trade gun on a rifle, I had to do an entry thimble. I had to do a nose cap. Um, toe plate i'm trying to think what else just it was just a little higher high a little more involved than the yeah. trade gun so that that was a little more intimidating but at least this time um the guy that uh 
did the trade with the wood for me he he gave me a lot of pointers and he helped me with some stuff on it and i i definitely took more time i started it in the fall of last year and i finished it right around memorial day okay i was just working at it here and there i wasn't cranking at it all the time yeah but i'm i'm pretty pleased with how that turned out and and that's the that's rifle a, then that you took your took that doe with here earlier this year, right? Right. So that's a maybe I said maybe I didn't already. It's a forty five caliber rice barrel swamped B weight. Um, it's a thirty eight inch barrel, large siler lock, single trigger. And uh, yeah, so that's the gun I've been shooting all summer and shooting at the woods walks and the and the different things like that. And then there was a guy I met at Union County couple years ago joe uh, became a friend of mine and he uh he said to me one time he says hey would you want to go out and hunt hunt with me out at john royer's leatherwood outdoors well if anybody's watched youtube for any amount of time john royer has a lot of the primitive he likes to do a lot of the filming um in the late season primitive yeah. hunts he gets a pile of views um he's a pretty good following i think that one video has like 13 million views on it but he uh I said, well, yeah, if you're going to invite me out to his place, I know he's got deer, so <laughs> I'll go. So I, I applied for a doe tag for out there, and then we, him and I, and or Joe and I and another one of his friends, we all went out and stayed at John's cabin, and, yeah, it didn't take long. We got out there Thursday and Friday morning. I was climbing up in the stand, and uh, it was getting light already. Just to count of it getting light, he said that I might see deer when I – when I'm walking to the stand. So I waited till light to go up to the stand. And as I climbed the ladder, I actually hit record as I was, I was climbing. I never even had to hit record, hit stop, stop hitting record till I pulled the trigger. Cause I got up in the stand. I sat my tripod down with it, with it still on record. I looked to my left and there's a deer walking and I thought, well, there's a doe and had a couple yearlings with it and fawns. Then it came across the clear cut. So I just kept panning the film to where I thought I was going to get an opportunity. And then I just, I stopped her and I just settled that bead right on her shoulder and hit her high shoulder. And it just, it just knocked her straight down. I did clip, I did clip some uh, spine on it. I don't, I think part, that's partly why she dropped. I hit some of the spine. Hmm. So yeah, that was a 60 yard shot, 60, 65 grains of three F with a 440 ball pillow ticking patch. And uh, a couple guys had told me that 45 was, you know, kind of borderline for deer. But in Pennsylvania, 44 is the minimum. So it is legal to hunt with it and uh, for deer. And so I knew it was, if, if it's legal, why it should be able to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I got that one and it definitely was a confidence booster. 60 <laughs> yards. Yeah. <laughs> After I shot mine, I was dragging, I was dragging mine out and I heard Joe's gun go off. And I guess one of the fawns that was with my doe had just been just up the road a little further. And he shot one of it, one of the, one of his the, the fawns then. So, Oh really? Yeah. We each got one of them. So it was, it was fun. We, we each had deer while then we had a day and a half and we both had our tags filled. So hmm. we got to just sit in the shanties and watch some of his big buck and turkeys. And so, it was a good time. Hopefully we'll be able to go back. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. So do you have any other <laughs> uh, hunts planned this, this year? Yeah, um, like I said, I'm going to probably be going out here Saturday, which is our rifle opener, and I'm going to carry the flintlock throughout rifle season. As long as we don't have rain, I'll carry the flintlock. That's my plan then. 
Um, I have a buck tag, and I I have to check. I think I have five total doe tags. Okay. Um, for different areas, some of them are for further away, but for right around home here, I have three different doe tags and a buck tag. So I'll I'll be hunting rifle around home here, and then after Christmas, we have it's about two weeks or so uh, our late flintlock only season, and I'll I'll definitely be doing some hunting. Then I have a a doe tag for up north in Potter County. I'm going to be going up and hunting with a buddy up there for two days. I'll take two days off work and hunt the big woods. Hmm. Um, that's up, that's up, up, up north where the mountains are much larger. And I guess the deer numbers aren't as good, but, uh, he, from what I've noticed, you know, up there in the mountains, you can actually sneak up on deer in the snow up there a whole lot easier. It's real big, big mature cherry and maple stands up there. Okay. And uh, as long as you play the wind right and get on the right facing slopes, you can sneak sneak right up to them. So that's the other, that's the hunting I have planned then for for flintlock. And I I run beagles. I hunt rabbits with beagles, and uh, I'm planning to use the trade gun and do some rabbit hunting with you know load it with shot and try to shoot some rabbits. Uh, there's a guy that I shoot at a woods walk with from down in Shippensburg area that we're going to be hopefully getting together here in the late season to shoot some rabbits with our flintlock shotguns so okay that should be fun too. yeah that sounds like a lot of fun this podcast is brought to you by thor bullets thor bullets are a premium full bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles thor bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired meaning less cleaning for you between shots the patented copper base creates an airtight seal giving you greater distance and accuracy Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. Yeah, my my dad, Bert, my dad, he never was into it um the shooting muzzle loaders. Really? And I've been trying I've been trying to get him well, I shouldn't say I've been trying. We, I've took, I've taken my flintlock down to my parents. They're, they're an hour and a half south of me. They're down close to the Maryland line, and we're going to be going down to their place for Thanksgiving. I thought about taking mine along and just trying to get him to shoot because he's into history too. But he's a, he's just kind of a simple hunter. He just likes, you know, he'll get the rifle out and shoot a couple deer here and be done with it. But as far as trying to take game with it or anything, or, or just for hobby to shoot it that's just not my dad you know yeah (laughs) my daughter my oldest is pretty scared of sound like she doesn't like gunshots at all but my my little two-year-old it's the craziest thing she's two years old but she if she sees me grab the flintlock and go out into the yard to shoot she throws she pitches a fit if she doesn't get to go along really I, i put earmuffs on her but she stands there you know and i I give her the opportunity to hold the round balls and I show her how I stick them on the end and she likes to smack the short starter and, you know, just little things to help, help her involved will help get her involved. And she, she really enjoys it. I'm like, now she's only two things could easily change, but I'm like, I wonder if she's going to be the one that's going to want to take interest into this. Yeah. 
But I hope they I hope they do. I think that's what, you know, starts to get really important for everybody in this in the community trying to trying to keep it going is, you know, trying to keep it accessible. I mean, your daughter can't go out and buy her own muzzleloader, but if in a few years she looks back fondly on those memories and sparks up her own interest in it. What's the what's the muzzleloading and and hunting culture with muzzleloaders like out in Pennsylvania? You know, I'm out here in Indiana. I know you guys are real diehards about it yeah. out there. But for somebody, you know, that is really unfamiliar with, with Pennsylvania and it's, you know, it's hunting culture, what could, what do you have to say about it? Oh, I would say I'm surprised how many guys are, are going out in that late flintlock season. Now, I would say the majority of them are not like, they're not like annual muzzleloader shooters. Like they're not going to go to woods walks. They're not going to they're not going to be in muzzleloading clubs. Um, kind of like me when I first started, you know, I just bought a muzzleloader just because it's, it's another season you can get out there. I mean, there's going to be guys that go out in the late season and they're going to hunt with a flintlock because it's another opportunity to hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have a lot of those guys, which is great because I mean, we get, we get to doing some, um, drives Pennsylvania, I would say has a, and maybe other States do too. Um, but, you know, with today's hunting societies, you don't have guys doing drives. I mean, pe some people think it's, wrong, I guess, right or wrong. I don't know. But, um, you know, well, Pennsylvania anyway, and at least the way I grew up, you know, you have standards, you have the, or you have the watch, as they call it, and then you have guys that are do the push. And okay. you have a couple guys flanking as they push for anything that wants to cut out. And it's super effective. It's very effective with bear hunting for sure. It's one of the best ways to kill bear. Um, just driving places out but in the late season a lot of guys will do drives because they're usually herded up in the late season they're pressured so you know you get properties where the deer and thick stuff and you do little pushes even if it's a couple man pushes you can really you know push deer to each other it's pretty effective in that way okay um, another thing another thing we do is uh, I have a little 12 foot boat and there's quite a few um, islands in here in central Pennsylvania on, on the rivers that are closed to hunting throughout the year, except they're only open in that late flintlock season. So guys will go out there and after the hunting season, some like rifle season, those deer will get pushed out in those islands. And then I know it's a pretty big thing for guys to all get together and, you know, big groups of guys will get together and go out in the islands and usually have pretty good success uh, shooting deer on the islands. Okay. So there's a lot of, to answer your question, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, they just have their annual thing they do, you know, whether it's going to hunt the islands or doing a couple pushes at different family farms or however. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, once the leaves start turning, it's like uh, all we see online is is everybody in Pennsylvania getting ready. It's, it's <laughs> like you guys just all in unison, the weather gets crisp and all of a sudden everybody online is a Pennsylvania muzzleloader hunter. It's great to see. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Well, they say out west, like Colorado, that there's like just as many Pennsylvania plates out there hunting elk than it is. Oh, really? State. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of hunters in this state. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a good hunting culture here for sure. That's but great. Like I said, as far as, as, far as um, muzzleloader enthusiasts, if you will, I don't feel like that there's a whole lot of them as much as there, as there could be. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of guys that, that hunt flintlock hunt muzzleloader or in line because of the, what's the seasons are, you know, allow. Yeah. Uh, they're my just trying to get some more time. 
Yeah. Like I know they're, they're pushing for Sunday hunting. Like we're one of the few States that don't have Sunday hunting. They they're doing, they're doing three Sundays per fall that you can hunt on a Sunday. It's the last Sunday of archery. The, 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 the one Sunday, which was just the other day, which was for bear. And then they have another one that you can do. This is the second day of rifle season. Cause our rifle opens on a Saturday now. So, um, most Sundays are closed to hunting, but now that they're, they open that up to three days and I feel like they're going to push for that, push for more and more of that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be a, to be an all year thing where you can hunt, hunt every Sunday. And as well as I think something I'm afraid they're going to push for is, uh, inlines in the late season. And I, I just love the, the late Flintlock only. I hope they never change it because, because of the history behind it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I think because guys will take any, the easiest means available, um, to hunt with, you know, they're going to carry an inline the late season. There's nothing wrong with inlines, but I just, I like the, um, the dedication that it takes to hunt with a flintlock and you know there's only there's fewer people out there because it's hard uh, it's harder yeah Yeah. you know i mean just think about archery how many how many guys years ago you talked about archery hunting there wasn't many archery hunters there was a few but now that crossbows are open Mm -hmm. for anyone to use a crossbow in our state i mean there's guys shooting their deer with their crossbow and they don't even have to go out in the gun season because they have all their deer killed with a crossbow because it's I mean, we'll just face it. It's easier. Yeah. So I'm not, a, I'm not about easier. I'm about making it fun and challenging. And then, so I hope, I hope they never change it, but that's just because of what I desire out of it. Not really any other reason other than that. Yeah. Get, there's so much at play there. It's, I, I agree with you. Like, I think it'd be really great for Pennsylvania to hold on to that flintlock season. And I think it'd be great for other seas or other States to open that up as well. You know, not to take away from, from the, other hunters out there wanting to use a, a different means of take, but man, you know, a muzzleloader, especially a flintlock here on the East coast, you know, East of the Mississippi here. I mean, that's just a, such a direct tie to the, to the forefathers and what they were doing, you know, yeah. to, to put food on the table. I think, especially in Pennsylvania, I mean, you got the Pennsylvania long rifle. I mean, if they ever did away with that, that flintlock season, boy, I think it'd be, there'd be hell to pay. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely special. Like you said, I, it'd be cool if other states did it. I think I did see something. Is it Kentucky or somewhere? Yeah. The, I thought there was a primitive season. It's not necessarily Flintlock only, but I thought there was another state that was doing something with the primitive only season. Yeah. Several states have the, the primitive only. I saw here lately where the Kentucky Corps of Long Riflemen um, – got with one of their state representatives and is trying to um, initiate a flintlock only season there in Kentucky because of the name, the Kentucky long rifle. Yeah. Right. Which would be great to see. It'd be great to see that catch on in a few more States just to, I mean, I think it helps out everybody really, uh, especially in, in the muzzleloading world to kind of get that, that press and that attention. Yeah. And from a management standpoint, I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but I can't imagine that it's going to make a drastic number in harvest rates. No, I don't either. I think I think they could probably do a two week season and not really have to worry about, you know, making a making too much of a dent in the population because they have a two week primitive season. 
Yeah. Well, you know, they're the state wildlife agencies are running the numbers on that stuff all the time. Yeah. I, I bought a CVA wolf last year after my gun flat, after I had that flash in the pan on that bear, uh, you can use inlines in that early season. So you can use an inline in Pennsylvania in the early muzzleloader doe season, that one week season, that's just muzzleloader. So it can be an inline, a cap lock or a flintlock. It can be any muzzleloader. And then you could use an inline in our rifle season. It's just in the late season, it's flintlock only. So if I was to buy an inline, I could use it in rifle season. I could use it in bear season, or I could use it in that early muzzleloader. And after having the flash in the pan, I thought now, like I said, most guys that are hunting are going to use their the, the easiest way, easiest um, weapon or most effective weapon possible. Yeah. So most guys in that season are carrying inlines. And I thought, now you idiot, here you are carrying your trade gun and you just had a flash in the pan. Had you been carrying an inline like anybody else, you would have had that bear. But that's part of that's part of the thing you got to take when you're carrying a primitive weapon is you're going to have opportunities that are going to you're going to mess up the year before i missed a bear with my longbow at 14 yards hmm. you know no bait just straight up got lucky and had one come by at 14 yards during a 10-day overlap you know like what are the chances and i missed it <laughs> so like i'm like well if i'd had a compound 15 yards have been a chip shot but no i didn't have a compound i wanted to hunt with a longbow so that's yeah. that's part of it but i, I bought this cva wolf and I've been shooting it, and, you know, it's just sitting in the gun cabinet because I'm like, I don't want to take it. I bought it, but now now here came the season. It's coming, and all I want to do is carry the flintlock, so I don't know why I even <laughs> bought it. <laughs> but I didn't use that Blackhorn 209. I saw you were shooting, and I saw other guys are talking about how good it is, but I haven't. Yeah, it's it. it's pretty great, I think. It's it's something else. That my uh, My Acura... There, I was shooting this last weekend, and boy, at a hundred yards, I'm right in there, which is just nuts. Yeah, but boy, it jumps. That it is that blackhorn is hot. I'm not even yeah. running. They say the max by weight is 84, and I'm shooting about 80. And I don't like to run it right up to the you know. No, you don't want to push it to the limit. Is it? Nah. Is it? Does it smoke as much as like your other black powders, or is it? It doesn't smoke as much, but there's still a bit of smoke to it, mm-hmm. I'd say. Yeah. Like um, shooting those uh, milk jugs this last weekend. I mean, I, I had to wait for it to clear, you know, before I could see anything through the smoke, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, I thought about it, but I had bought two pounds of Pyrodex, and I was like, ah, I'll just stick yeah. to it. It's expensive, that Blackhorn is. Yeah, yeah. But I bought the CVA Blackhorn breech plug mm-hmm. just because I wasn't shooting pellets and I'm shooting loose powder. Yeah. So I guess it's it's made for the, the loose powder, but I don't know. I might end up going to it eventually, but I'll use this Pyrodex up first. But at this rate, the gun's just sitting in the cabinet. I thought about taking it in rifle season, too, if it rains, because I, I trust the 209 primer. It's called closed up in there more than my flintlock. Yeah. It's still fun. It's just fun. Muzzle loaders are just fun because I don't know, but you can, you can like, I reloaded for my rifle and that was always fun, like getting it figured. But once you have it figured, it's figured. And I guess it's the same way with the muzzle loader, but you can like play with each charge. Yeah. You, know, you, you can really, add a little here. Yeah. It's, it's much more intimate. 
Yeah. That's how I describe it. Right. Yep. That's the same reason I think too. Um, and maybe that's something you could put in there too. If I mentioned that, you know, I, I had, I had shot, I built 57 longbows. I had my own little business there a couple of years ago, Shade Haven traditional bows. I was building longbows and I just liked the uh, simplicity of shooting traditional and, yeah. and the intimacy of just a, a pure bow and arrow, you know, rather than messing with compounds. And, and I think there's just part of it, part of me that enjoys that. And, you know, you feel that same sense when it comes to shooting muzzle loaders the flintlocks in particular that there's just a primitive feeling to it and you know i don't i don't wear the 18th century dress i haven't gotten into that or anything but Mm -hmm. when i throw that possibles bag over my shoulder and i grab that gun it just i just can't stop but looking down at it you know just like dang this is just this just feels so right you know (laughs) it's just I love holding that gun and looking at it all the time. And, and uh, I don't know, you just feel like you're stepping back in time. You're carrying that old primitive stuff. It's just cool. Yeah, you're just traveling back. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't get any, you don't get any closer, I don't think, to, to going back in time than when you grab a flintlock and head into the woods. Right. Well, and that's what we were talking the other day. I said to one of those guys that was older at the club, I said, why, why do you think there's not, he goes, well, they're not teaching history anymore. He says, they're not teaching history. That's what he kept saying. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, there's probably some truth to that, you know, because with me being a history buff, maybe that's partly why I like it so much. Yeah. If people aren't learning their history, they're not interested in American history, you're not probably, probably not going to be interested in, in what we used to shoot. Yeah. You know? Well, I'll put a, uh, I'll put some links to your YouTube videos and things there in, um, in the description here for the interview and, and send some more people your way so they can see how cool muzzleloaders can be. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and honestly, Ethan, I can't thank you enough for because I know it's time and and doing your podcast, doing your YouTube, and I don't watch all your stuff. Um, but that's I watch, okay. <laughs> I, watch, I watch a fair amount of it. Yeah, I mean that's just very time consuming. So, you know, and and I'm always. Oftentimes, like my typical day is I go to work, I come home, we eat supper, my wife and my girls are just kind of hanging around the house in the evenings. And uh, I usually plop down on the couch and I pull up the Roku and I sit there and I go into YouTube. And, you know, if I love muzzling, something new pops up, I click on it. (laughs) So, like, you know, I'm watching that stuff and I'm watching other guys' stuff. So I'm always like watching videos and there's got to be thousands of guys like, you know, me and that are sitting down on their couch in the evening and they're going through YouTube to watch and see what's new, you know, and, and to see, to see those videos is, is fun to, you know, cause really it's, it's you. I'm trying to think who else did you ever see his name was Denny Ducet or Denny Ducet on YouTube. And then he changed his name to folks firearm collective. And oh, a yeah. lot of, and he has a lot of he's out in like Montana. Mm-hmm. A lot of my videos I kind of took his type of um he does a lot of close ups of the accoutrements and guys' guns and shooting and you know, there's very little delay. Sort yeah. of like you when you were shooting your southern mountain rifle at that one. I think your wife was filming you. There was just like one shot after the next. And, you know, it keeps it interesting because the, the clips are constantly changing. Yeah, you know, you're not nobody wants watching to, a guy. Nobody wants to see a reload a hundred times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They just want to, you want to have the excitement. So, yeah. Um, so, so, like, between you and him, there's really not a whole lot out there. And part of the reason I, I don't really care for carrying the camera all the time and doing everything, but I feel like, 
too, you know, to get young guys interested there and, and the Oklahoma's going to have to put some effort out there so guys can watch that stuff and take interest in it. And hopefully, hopefully some people, you know, maybe it might spark interest just because they saw a video. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right now I think about, um, about 40% of my audience is under the age, um, of 50, which I find really encouraging. That is good. Yeah. You know, that means that there there are people out there interested in it. You know, I I just get kind of sick of hearing that nobody's interested in, you know, all the young people are, are lame and, you know, they're out yeah, there. That, they're, that's they're, what I just got done telling you, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well <laughs> there, there's merit to it, you know, but I think there's also, you know, there's a there's a group of people out there, I think, that are are kind of rediscovering it, I think, you know, th- thanks yeah. to the Internet and being able to find those things. I mean, like... Uh, like Duelist 1954 and yeah, I met him. Oh yeah. He's not too far. He's uh yeah, he's out well, in we, Pennsylvania, isn't he? Yeah. He's down in York County. He's okay. close to my parents. One time we have this place you may have heard of. It's called Lewisburg artisan show. Mm-hmm. A lot of the gun makers are there and yeah. I was walking through it and I was like, well, there's that guy at Mike at Duelist and boy, there's people that are standing in line getting pictures with him. You thought he was somebody from Hollywood. It was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of people that see his stuff. Well, he's got gobs of videos. Oh, my gosh, yeah. He's one of the first, I think. I I consider him one of the the very first that put muzzleloading on the map. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was thinking about this Saturday. I should probably carry the camera, but, you know, for what reason? Do I really really want to? Mm -hmm. No, I don't really feel like it, but if I can get a – uh, another muzzleloader kill on film and it helps and I, I don't care about like i don't care if i don't get any ads money from youtube it has nothing to do with making money for me it has yeah. everything to do with has everything to do with the sport and having fun and having people be able to share it one of the things i always th- said about with youtube is you know you can be over at a buddy's house and be like hey pull up your phone quick and search this i'll show you right now what happened there you know yeah because it's a, it's like on the internet then you can just watch it yeah, it makes it makes the information so much more accessible, which I think is so important. Yeah. I mean, do you find it kind of a a pain to be filming or do you do you just enjoy it all like doing the whole filming or do you feel like almost part of a like you have to with your I love muzzle looting? It it's huh? it kind of goes back and forth like um you know, I I really try to think of it as I'm trying to trying to make it look and, and and seem cool to try to get some more people involved in it mm-hmm. um and but there are just days that i just want to go out and just go shoot and i'll just yeah. i'll just load up and you know just kind of just me and my gun in the woods and just and just plink yeah. um like if i'm not in the mood or if i wake up on the wrong side of the bed or something i don't i don't film or i don't yeah. you know um you know if i need some extra sleep in the morning because I, I edit most of my stuff in the morning before work. So I'll get up about five and, and work for about an hour before I have to get ready. And Oh man, you stop and start that stuff. Yeah. Oh my, that would be hard. <laughs> so I, when I, when I sit down, I usually tell my wife, I'm like, give me two hours. Cause I'm cranking this thing out. I cannot like leave it. Once I start, I get addicted. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to get up, but <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, yeah, if I'm not feeling it or if I, you know, need a break or something. I just, I just kind of stop and really only, I, I try to keep it fun for me, you know, so that when I'm on, when I'm on camera and things, I'm actually having fun. Yeah. Um, 
you know, not that it's all fun. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm doing something. I'm just like, man, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you're, you're shooting there with the uh, 40. That was good. Heck. I think you said something about that. You're like, Oh, I'm stinking it up. That was like that paper target. Yeah. Oh shoot. I think a lot of times guys post stuff on the internet and forums and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes yeah. I really want, like they're literally clear relief in it. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little hard to believe. You know, I got young, good eyes and I'm real solid and I'm shooting like a two, three inch group at 50 yards. And I'm like on a bench and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I, that, that they can't, I just wonder how much of that stuff's true. So like, yeah, I think, I think you're shooting great. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah. They got, you got that flash going off in front of your face and there's, there's a, there's even, you know, with using open sites and there's just a level of, um, it's just not as precise. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're sitting there with a scope, you know, in <laughs> a yeah, lead sled. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That's why I just tell people, you know, I try to get it to where I can, I know I can, sh I can hit a squirrel. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's about as good as it gets for me is. Uh, I like to get out there, and, and that's really what I'm trying to work that up for is so that really my time's running out for this year, but get out there next year and chase some fox squirrels. and There you go. That'll be fun. You know, I, that's about all the hunting I do is some squirrels every now and then. Most of the time, just with my air rifle, I'll be – in fact, my wife and I were watching TV there last weekend upstairs here in the house, and I saw a piney squirrel out there, and they're always chewing on the buildings and things, and – and cracked open the window and <laughs> chased him down <laughs> with my pellet gun. And, nice. You know, yeah. that's, that's about as fun as it gets for me. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> now, where uh, this uh, this big shoot that they have for the uh, in Friendship? It, that's the town Friendship, Indiana. Yep. Okay, I'll have to look it up, and I'm gonna have to see. I, I'd like to do it, but I just it's just a hair too far. Is it what probably like? Well, you don't know exactly where I'm at, but I think I got four hours to the Ohio line. So I'm thinking probably 12 hours out there. Yeah, 10, probably. hours. Yeah. But they have two shoots per year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have uh, one, in, one in June and the other in September. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to. I saw your video and some other guys' videos. I was like, man, I'd like to go out there to that. Just, you know, I wouldn't even have to take a gun. I just want to go talk. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's I think the the best part of it. I mean, I I shot competition there as a kid, and and my parents did too. But anymore, I just enjoy going down and and talking with people. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of like minded people down there that that care about the sport, and you can learn so much just talking to a variety of people there. That's just hard to find. Right. Yep. That's cool. Well, if you ever get out here, or, or if I'm ever out there, we'll have to have to uh, get some lunch or something together. And yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, you're you guys are ever traveling through or for anything for work or personal stuff. Seriously, you got my number. Mm -hmm. We got we got spare room. We'll be more than happy to put you guys up. Well, that's very kind of you. Yeah, we're in we're in central Pennsylvania, so. Are you gonna well, make it out to that um, that gunmakers fair at Kempton? Do you think? Yeah, is that pretty uh, close I, to you? Yeah, that's uh, about an hour and a half. Okay. I've been there before. Um, I was there twice, I think, down to Kempton's. But I've never been to the Gunmakers Fair. I think it's the last weekend in July. Yeah. And year, the couple years past, there's always that Eastern Traditional Archery Rendezvous. 
Oh and yeah. Like like I said, I was I was big into traditional archery the last few years with building bows and trying to sell bows and stuff. That was kind of my thing, but I've I've transitioned pretty quickly into straight up muzzle loaders. And so, I mean, I don't really feel like I'm going to be going to, they call it ETAR, Eastern Traditional Archery Rendezvous. I don't think I'm going to be going to that anymore. So hopefully I'll start going down there to the Gunmakers Fair. Do you know, um, I'm sure you've heard of Alan Martin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But his nephew and I worked together here at the trailer shop not far away because Alan's just north of me here about uh, 45 minutes. Okay. And um, when I when I worked for my wife's uncle, Alder for Lumber, um, we sold, we sold stocks for Alan. <laughs> so, so we were, I was selling, uh, well, the, I was on the, I wasn't the guy running the head. So I was just on the green chain pulling the stocks off, but, um, these big, you know, they call it 12 or 11 quarters So 12 quarter. Maybe you're familiar with lumber is, yeah. is three, three inches. So we were pulling off these you know 12 quarter stocks and stuff. And Alan would come and we'd talk a little bit and everything. And, I talked to him some, but he's a he's a real nice, humble guy and very good builder. Oh yeah. And then and then the other guy I said about shaping my stock, Bob Lepley. He would come and buy them, uh, buy a lot of the stock material that we would sell, and he shapes them. And here I come to find out, he shapes all the all the stocks for uh, a lot of the stocks anyway for Track of the Wolf and then Jim Chambers. Really? So I'm like, you're kidding me! I said all these high end kits are coming from this sawmill he said yeah pretty well (laughs) i thought that was pretty interesting it is I'd like to thank Brian again for coming onto the show here and, and taking time away uh, from his busy schedule to talk to me for, for a little while here about muzzleloading. Like I said in the episode, I'll have a link to Brian's YouTube channel uh, in the show notes down below for you to click and check out. He, he doesn't upload often, but the videos that he does are really, really well done. Uh, like I said, especially for using Windows Movie Maker. And uh, it's, it's great to see him sharing his enthusiasm for muzzleloading. I would encourage anybody out there that's, uh, that's passionate about muzzleloading loading and, and wants to share their own story and maybe some of the stories of, of the people they know in muzzleloading to, uh, to start a channel or, uh, or post some pictures or anything out there that you can do or, or want to do uh, to help us all promote this great sport and keep it going. I, I really encourage that. And uh, if you ever have any questions about it, um, you know, please feel free to reach out and, 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 and ask. I'm, I'm more than happy to share everything I know about it and, uh, and try to give anybody some advice that I can or answer any questions that you might have. As of recording here, uh, we're heading into kind of the last two months of our muzzleloading hunting hat giveaway. Uh, so we're going to pick the winners for December here coming up in the next week. And then we have January left. So if you are a muzzleloading hunter out there listening to the show, please send us uh, a few pictures of of some of your hunts this year. You don't have to, you know, have a big buck or a trophy animal in there. If it's just you out there having some fun with family and friends with your muzzleloaders, uh, you know, that counts too. You can submit your photos to ilovemuzzleloading at gmail.com and, uh, and we'll get reach out to you and uh, get a mailing address if you win and, and get your hat shipped out usually within uh, within a week of, of us getting your mailing address so uh, it's just kind of a, a gesture that we're trying to do to help promote and uh, and give back to the community here a little bit this is looking like the last episode for the podcast for this year um, we've got just a, a few days left here and uh, the holiday season kind of makes it tough to to navigate all of this, I'm going to be taking a little break and uh, and spending some time with my family and friends, which I'm looking forward to, and I, and I hope you're able to as well. 
Um, looking forward into next year, there's a lot of exciting things happening, I think, uh, in the community. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of that and, uh, and continue to uh, make the podcast. We already have quite a few episodes lined up for recording in January. So the early spring here is going to be, I think, uh, a good time for us here. I love muzzleloading. We also got a shot show coming up, which everybody's gearing up for. I won't be out there, but um, we'll be covering any any muzzleloading news that comes out of that, as well as um, you know starting to catch up with some some friends and, and craftspeople and and marksmen from the traditional side of things as well to keep that interesting. So, if you have any thoughts or um, you know would like me to cover something more or less, feel free to again reach out to my email. I love muzzleloading at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to to hear your feedback and uh, and talk to you about what we've been doing here and and uh, I'm always willing to listen about how we can improve this and uh, and do better. So um, that being said, you know, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everybody out there listening. Um, really can't thank you all enough for your support and your generosity uh, with the with the start of I Love Muzzleloading here. Um, it's really been phenomenal. And uh, it's it's really humbling, and I just can't say thank you enough. So you're gonna have to get uh, get used to hearing thank you a lot more here as we head into next year. But um, you know, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. In business, you rarely hear the expression "for life." You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and and there's a there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to Awaken180WeightLoss.com.